Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora, piki mai kake mai ki te auhurehanga. Hello and welcome to Our Changing World, Kōklak in Kananahau. Late last year, Te Whanganui Atara, Wellington, welcomed a small flock of North Island brown kiwi back to the city's west coast. Kiwi had once thrived in the rugged hills on the fringe of the capital, more than 150 years ago, but were driven out when stoats were released to control rabbits. Now they've returned to take up residence again as part of one of the country's largest rewilding missions, the Capital Kiwi Project. Science journalist Veronica Maduna brings us the story of the return of the kiwi. She joined the Pofuri in the Makara Hills at the western edge of Wellington last November. It's a very special homecoming. Iwi and the Makara community, landowners and wind farm operators are all gathered at the local school to welcome 11 kiwi back to the wilds of Wellington. These birds are the pioneers, the first of 250 North Island brown kiwi that will eventually return over the next six years to settle in the Manuka-covered hills around the capital city. They've travelled a long way gifted by the Otorohanga Kiwi House in Ngāti Hinuai to return to Taranaki Whānui, Kite Upoko o Te Ika and the local community. After the pōwhiri, each bird is set up with a transmitter and then taken to the ready-made burrows in the hills, while the community continues to celebrate. Ngāti Hinuai elder Tom Roa has accompanied the manu on their long journey back home. My name is Tom Moore. I'm a kaumatu, an elder of Ngati Hiniwai, Ngati Maniapoto, uh, from the King Country area of middle of the North Island. For more than 40 years, our hapu, our iwi, has strongly supported the introduction and the uh, continued activity uh, with the Otorohanga Kiwi House. And it has done a, a, an amazing job, so successful in fact that Birds, not just kiwi, kaka, kariaria, a number of native species uh, that have been cared for at the kiwi house have been repatriated and are repopulating areas all over Aotearoa, New Zealand. And that's part of what is happening here today. So those birds, those kiwi, do they have a connection to this place? Yes, we were particularly keen 
that the matriarch of the breeding pairs that we brought here today, Anahira, is uh, 42 years old, probably 44 years old, and she is still producing progeny. She was rescued along with a, a couple of her siblings from Taranaki and formed a part of that beginning group of birds that have been cared for at the Otoronga Kiwi House. So we were particularly keen to bring Anahira here to return her to her people. Anahera has already produced many offspring, and the hope for the Capital Kiwi project is that she'll keep going and help the younger birds to settle into their new home. The transmitters the birds carry help the team to track and monitor their whereabouts, but apart from that, they're left to explore their new surroundings. Everyone happy? Yep. Two months later, I'm back to find out how things have gone. Kia ora, my name's Paul Ward. Paul is the founder and leader of the Capital Kiwi Project, one of the first landscape-scale project to be funded by Predator Free 2050. The initial idea was ambitious, but also simple. Kiwi once thrived in these hills, so why not do everything possible to return them? But before the community could welcome the birds back, they had to put in years of work to clear thousands of pests. This is the largest community-owned stoat trap network in the country, 4,500 traps across 23,000 hectares. And all of this to make sure any kiwi chicks have a good chance to survive. As an egg, they've got some solid design features, so a rat can't get its mouth around the egg, it's so big. And as adults, kiwi can get up to like a big brown kiwi, it's like three, three and a half kilos, so... It can fight off all comers except for ferrets, um, which thankfully we don't have in the landscape, and, and uncontrolled dogs. So in the 80s and 90s, when they first started studying kiwi chicks, they realised what was happening was um, was those chicks were getting um, predated before they could get up to that weight where they could look after themselves. So it's a bit like a, an old-growth forest where when those big old trees start falling down, there's no saplings coming up to replace them. So a lot of places where we thought kiwi were, were doing really well and fine were old birds that, you know, because they can live 45, 50 years in the wild. Um, and once those birds were dying, those populations were slowly marching towards extinction. So in order to look after kiwi in the wild, we've got to do something about that um, predator threat on the chicks. Um, so our job is really to provide an environment in which we can get them up to that to that uh, weight in which they can look after themselves. And our mission is to try to remove all the stoats from this landscape. It's never been done before on the mainland. Um, but even in, in the striving, uh, we know that we will be getting stoats down to a low enough level to be able to grow a thriving kiwi population. Long, hot summer days in here. We are standing above Shepherd's Gully, which is about a thousand hectares, five kilometres long. Um, and we're looking down the ridge where the kiwi, first 11 kiwi were released just over two months ago. And where we're standing, we can see all the way north uh, to Rangatui, to Colonial Knob, um, to Porirua, Titahi Bay, 
Um, and if I span round, we've got uh, looking to Mount Coco, um, Tarikaka, uh, all the way over to Wellington Harbour. I can see Makara Peak, the um, mountain bike park, and then keeping going round to the south, I can see um, uh, the South Island. Um, and that whole area, which is roughly 24,000 hectares, so for comparison, um, slightly bigger than Abel Tasman National Park, is covered in 4,500 uh, stoke traps, so that's a cloak of protection to enable uh, Kiwi to come back. This network was first deployed in late November 2018, so it's four years of work uh, with mana, iwi mana whenua, with over 100 landowners and the, um, our passionate, passionate local supporters uh, in all those communities from Makara, uh, the four-wheel drivers checking traps on Te Kopaho above Red Rocks, uh, the mountain bikers checking traps in Makara Peak. Um, and all that work has resulted in, in an environment in which um, our Kiwi Guardians are, are comfortable to have those birds released into the wild. So yeah, quite exciting really to have a landscape scale uh, pest control project like this uh, right on Wellington's doorstep. Jeff Hall is a field ranger for the Capital Kiwi Project, managing the predator trapping and kiwi monitoring. And he's recently moved to Makara himself to be as close as he can to the relocation area. In terms of the, the trapping network, you know, across as Paul said, 23,000 hectares. Um, it's an immense landscape and it's based on, a, I, I guess, a, a recipe of what they've used for island eradications in the past with a, a, a density of traps uh, where trap lines are only um, no more than a kilometre apart and, uh, you know, there's traps every, every 100 metres along those lines. But how do you do it in terms of the people power behind it? Who's walking along those trap yeah, lines to so, check them? Well, we are, I guess quite blessed with within this landscape to have have an infrastructure that's already so well established um, you know so many of our big areas of the project are sort of major landowners that also have uh, wind farms on them and so with all that becomes all the uh, all the roading and, and access infrastructure um, and then you know with them being being working farms as well lots of farm tracks so we're pretty lucky we don't have to do a whole lot of walking yeah, so, so, sometimes we joke that uh, this is like trapping for old men but it's um <laughs> in that you can do most of the lines from the ute or from the luv the quad just as a comparison, traditionally trapping's been seen as prohibitively expensive. So in places like Fiordland where you have to jump in a helicopter or a boat and then you've got to accommodate labour, um, there can be quite significant um, cost to trapping. Um, on, in, and as a Resolution Island in Fiordland, which is roughly similar size to our project area, they had to cut, I think it was Jeff, it was about 400 kilometres of, of tracks from, from scratch when they put that network in there. Mm. We've had to cut, I think it's less than three kilometres of, yeah. of, uh, yeah. of tracks across that whole network. So, so the farming, roading, uh, Meridian Transpower Roads, um, that infrastructure has been just an, an enormous uh, boon to being able to get that cloak of protection on the ground. A few weeks after the birds' arrival, the team carried out a health check on each of them. They were relieved to find that all stayed in the area and have settled in well. Some even put on weight, but others snapped their beaks at the ready-made accommodation and dug their own homes, and some linked up with new mates and started exploring a bit further afield. For Rabiri Walsh, following the birds as they make their new homes has special meaning. Ko Taranaki te maunga, ko Wanapihi te awa, ko Tarupa te marae. 
ko Hemi Parai Rawa, ko Tawharikura Karopuhia, uh, nga tupuna, ko Rauri Wolfstoku Ingoa. Now you have a, a connection to the birds that have arrived here, the first 11 manu that have come here. Uh, yes, so these birds, um, like Taranaki Whanui, have wakapapa to Taranaki, so being Western North Island Browns. As with uh, the tangata, we migrated um, from Taranaki to Te Whanganui Tara, and these birds, um, through their migration through Otarahanga, have made their way down to the same area. Does it feel like a return? Yeah, it's pretty special. I mean, as, as we all know, you know, we utilise these manu um, for our everyday purposes, you know, the modern equivalent of the sheep, you know, they fed us, they clothed us, and, um, and, and they were very special. So having them here on our back doorstep, you know, kind of um, reconnects us to, to these manu and to the whenua. I'd imagine as they were handed over, it must be hard to let them go, you know, into possibly a better environment in many ways, but also an environment with more risk than in a captive breeding Program. Um, I, I wasn't down at the school. I was up here with the release, and we're fortunate to have uh, two members of from Maniapoto from Nati Henewai, um who were filming in particular Anahira. And during uh, her placement into the burrow, um, it was obvious to us that it should be, have been one of them to 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 place her in there. And so they performed a karakia and and had a wee uh, kōrero to her as they were doing so, and. Um, you know, it was a very pretty pretty special moment for us all to be a part of. And in particular, um, it was, you know, the, the care and attention and the love that uh, that we really went into saying goodbye to, to some, some, someone so special to a member of, of their wānau. To keep an eye on them, each Kiwi has been equipped with a little transmitter that emits at a certain radio frequency. Aerial and receiver in hand, Jeff and Paul are homing in on 40-plus-year-old matriarch Anahera. Anahera on the move. I'd hazard a guess. Let's see all that brackeny stuff. stuff over there. Yeah. Tracking birds in this sort of landscape, you know, these, yep. um, the topography can really make it uh, a, a little bit challenging until, until you really tune in to to the strength of the signal and the direction. Um, sometimes, you know, line of sight straight across a, a, a gully like this, the signal can be really strong. Um, whereas if, say, she was down the slope in front of us here, um, because you haven't got line of sight, that, that radio signal can be uh, quite distorted and, and, a, and, and a lot weaker than, even though she's closer, um, yeah, so it's, it's learning those little things in your landscape that help you when you when you start sort of tracking these birds. And so um, you're thinking Anahera's moved yeah, well, she's, for food? Yeah, significantly moved, uh, you know, quite a few hundred metres there um, from where we encountered her last week. So, um, so I suppose, yeah. um, just to describe the kind of landscape we're in, it's, uh, it's classic scrappy, scrubby North Island hill country. So we've got regenerating manuka, uh, where there's water or seepages, we've got um, uh, tree ferns, mamaku um, and mahoi um, and you can see those green strips down the hills and things w when we look across them. So also quite dense um, tohinu, cottonwood, um, bracken, scrub. 
Scrub country. Kiwi country. (laughs) Bird or person. (laughs) So who are we trying to track now? So now we've come down into into Shepherd's Gully and we're having a look for uh, Firo, one of our male birds. So, um, yeah, just recently we we caught all our birds for health checks. Um, We discovered uh, Firo sitting on an egg. Um, which was a pleasant surprise for us all uh, and quite exciting. Um, yeah, so that's um, yeah, our first uh, egg in the wild in the west of Wellington in a, in a heck of a long time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we certainly were not expecting to find an egg because what that means is Fero and, and his partner Tyner uh, have gotten down to business pretty soon after uh, arriving um, back in Wellington. So um, I can't remember, someone described it as our, as our um, capital, capital love chick. and and the tracking or the transmitter actually can confirm for you that he's sitting on a nest yes so at the moment and i might just turn it up a little and you might hear so that that beeping or the pulse rate is now beeping at a rate of 48 beeps per minute so normally when we're tracking birds day to day the transmitters are pulsing at 30 pulses a minute which uh, tracks the fact that the bird is alive and it's moving around. A good way of describing it is it's like a Fitbit for the for the kiwi, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. Tracks their um, yeah their movement and their patterns of and their, during the day. Their activity. So yeah, normally Fido would be out, you know, from from dusk till dawn feeding, you know, eight to ten hours a night. Whereas uh, in, in in that state, the transmitter's pulsing at 30, 30 beeps a minute. When his activity drops right off, uh, it means he's spending more of his night um, relatively sedentary or sitting, you know, sitting on an egg potentially. And that's when the transmitter learns that activity and switches. So now it's now it's pulsing at forty-eight, which means yes, this fido is incubating. Excellent news, I would say. So, what are we going to do here now today? One of the challenges of monitoring these kiwi uh, in terms of getting um, video footage of them is is getting reliable roost sites. And so that was quite easy when we released them because we knew that those um, burrow sites, um, but as they're um, out on the hills now in the wild making their own homes, it's quite hard for us to ascertain where those sites are. So because we know that Fero um, is incubating, we know where that site is, we're going to chuck a couple of trail cameras on there because uh, we can. And then you'll see exactly what he does, you know, when he leaves, when he comes back. That's right. So it just adds a little bit more information to us, understanding how they're making themselves at home back on the hills here. It's been more than 150 years since this has happened. A pair of kiwi incubating an egg in the Wellington Hills. Excited but trying to be as quiet as we possibly can, Rawiri and I carefully move a little closer to have a look. So we've just come into the area where both Fiddle, the male, and Tyna, the female, are. And we've just had to do a bit of a, a loop around Tyna to avoid disturbing her. And we've found Fiddle who is on the nest and sitting on the egg. And we're just staying quiet and whispering to not disturb him too much. While Jeff will go in a bit closer and put a trail camera on, on the nest. Yeah. So he'd be snoozing away at the moment, right? Yeah. Yep. Keeping the egg warm and just kind of a, having a daytime snooze as you do when you're kiwi. And his only feeding would be at night. At briefly. Night, uh, only for a few few hours at a time and then he'll go back in just to keep the egg warm. So 
obviously on a hot summer's day like today underneath this Macacapa Grove it's nice and cool under here and if we were to reach our hand in the burrow it would be even cooler in there so the burrows are nice and cool in summer and then nice and warm in winter perfect spot for them eh? Mm. so with these two they've obviously found the best spot to build their burrow or their nest but she can't have arrived with an egg already underway could she? Uh, no, she couldn't because they've been here over 60 days now and it takes 30, 30 days from copulation to, for the egg to be laid. So these two here, we say they're in the, the deluxe suite with a um, nice, cool, warm uh, area during the day and then lots of feed um, surrounding us with wetlands. Um, recently spoke to a friend um, around the fact that they have laid an egg and uh, he used to work at the zoo doing doing rearing eggs and he said that for this to have happened these birds have hardly been disturbed in their translocation so it's um, a really pat, real big pat on the back for everyone involved in that translocation and how well that went. When Jeff and Paul finally emerge from setting up the trail camera they ponder what might happen to this chick and any future ones as the kiwi population hopefully grows. So with a lot of kiwi on the mainland, a lot of populations, their eggs would normally be taken just to make sure that the chicks have a good chance of survival. Not in this case? Well, there's two ways of recovering kiwi, and, and one is operationistic, as you mentioned, which has been very successful, and, and that's when the eggs get removed uh, and then taken to a predator-free environment and returned to the, to the wild when they're at that stoke-proof weight. Uh, it's very intensive and expensive um, and the other way of recovering kiwi which has also been done in, in many places around uh, the country is to de um, deal to that predator threat, deal to that stoke threat uh, in the wild so that enough chicks can get up to that adult weight and grow a healthy population. One thing about uh, O&E is the taking of eggs away from males while they sit on the egg and that's for the benefit of the chick. Um, to ensure survival, but um, one of the things I guess we don't know, and and from a mana, mana whenua perspective, is is you know what that is doing for the male. Um, so they're not ha carrying on that natural cycle of him sitting on the chick and 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 continuing on with that. And then if we've had egg after egg taken away, then how is that affecting um, both parents as well as the chick uh, learning behaviours? Yeah, while well, this is the, I guess the first the first egg, we're uh, hoping and expecting that into the future we get a lot more eggs uh, with more pairs as, as more birds are translocated um, which will allow us to then monitor a portion of chicks for survival so we're looking at um, as a minimum monitoring 20 chicks through to through to about 1.2 kilos once they're big enough to defend themselves just to see you know while we do a lot of trapping for, for predators and we've got trap catch data and a lot of monitoring around, you know, the numbers of, of, of stoats in the landscape, the survival of the chicks will be the real, uh, the real test. Yeah, and I guess it's worth pointing out that even uh, before uh, people came, there was a lot of uh, chick mortality, so probably r roughly 50% of, of, uh, of eggs that hatched 50% uh, of chicks would have made it through to adulthood. So, so when you hear the statistic that um, up to 95, 100% of unmanaged kiwi populations, up to 95, 100% of those chicks are eaten by stoats, 
uh, in order to, to grow a Kiwi population, you've got to have roughly one in five uh, chicks survive. So we're aiming to do much better than that. But um, but it is, you know, it's a it's a wild, unfenced environment, and and we with the, the I guess the weight of landowner community, mana whenua support, we've created as safe and healthy an environment for the Kiwi as it's possible as it's possible to do. So. Um, and these are the first eleven. I guess there's more to come. Yeah, these are the uh, first eleven of 250 um, birds that we're permitted to move into the project area. And ultimately, what we'd what we'd like to have is a self-sustaining, wild, free-ranging population of kiwi where they can uh, live as they have done for 80 million years on on these hills. So you know they've had first dibs here for a long time. Um, and our job really is to kind of lay out the, the uh, welcome mat for their homecoming. Um, ultimately, over you know where we're standing right now, we're we're a ridge away from um, Karori Golf Course, a couple of ridges away from uh, Makara Peak uh, Mountain Bike Park, and and the suburb of Karori. So uh, as these um, Kiwi establish here in the coming years, they will start to. Um, push out closer to people and hopefully we're ready to be yeah, guardians of the animal that who has gifted us its name and identity. The return of the Kiwi is a special project for everyone involved, but for Paul and Jeff, it's also deeply personal. For me personally, uh, having grown up here, having uh, family connections that go back uh, seven or eight generations, you know, my, my great-great-great-grandparents, uh, they're buried just up the hill here, uh, they would have heard birds like huia, like kaka and kiwi. And so uh, we're, we're restoring a small part of the um, of the life of these hills, I guess, yeah, way of describing. Yeah, I know. Like for me, on a, I suppose, a bit of a personal note, and, uh, you know, prior to joining the uh, the project here, I was working on offshore islands around Wellington here and, and uh, growing up a young family on those islands. So on mana, you know, we had... We had uh, kiwi in the backyard and we'd hear them calling at night and uh, they were under the deck some nights. Um, and, you know, it was quite a privileged situation to be in. But uh, to, to have now this opportunity where that privilege can be shared with with the local community and those people, as Paul said, just over the hill here is, is pretty remarkable. Uh, and in Wellington we've gone from, you know, I grew up in Johnsonville in, in the 90s and, and there was maybe... Toho, Waxai, Fantail, that's it really. Blackbirds, possums at night, no native birds. And the, the resurgence in Wellington has been quite remarkable. You know, we're one of the few cities in the world that's actually increased its uh, biodiversity over, over a generation and a half. And, you know, that's thanks to a whole combo of things, Zealandia, um, community trapping, umbrella efforts like predator-free Wellington and capital Kiwi, council possum control. But the result of all that mahi is that... Um, you know, I've gone from a reality of blackbirds and possums. My kids in Newtown are growing up with um, tui, kereru, kaka, kariere every morning. And, you know, this is just really about adding a, a very special K <laughs> to that list. And uh, fundamentally, if, if our relationship with a bird like a kiwi, with kaka, ends up being behind a fence or on an offshore island or in a zoo, then we'll lose our connection and our relationship with them. And if we lose that connection, uh, we'll lose the, I guess, the aroha or the desire to care for them. So it's really about, yeah, fostering uh, guardianship. And we we know that 
Uh, we can look after Kiwi, we can recover Kiwi populations. People like Pete and Jeff have spent their whole careers um, proving that it can be done. So for us really it's about doing it in the backyard of our, uh, of our capital city. Sadly, not long after Veronica's visit, the capital Kiwi team went out to check on the birds again and found that Fido had left his nest because the egg wasn't viable. It's not an unusual outcome. About half of all Kiwi eggs laid don't make it to hatching for natural reasons. But the fact that the pair produced an egg is still a sign that the birds are happy in their new home. A big thank you to Paul Ward, Jeff Hall and Rawari Walsh from the Capital Kiwi Project, as well as to Tom Roa from Nati Hinawai. This story was produced by Veronica Medina and engineered by William Saunders. Production help, as always, from Ellen Rikers and Tim Watkin is executive producer of podcasts and series at RNZ. Remember to search your favourite podcast app for Our Changing World and follow the show to get new weekly downloads. The show's website is at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld, where we'll put up photos and links for this episode, and you can listen to our extensive back catalogue, including lots of Kiwi-related content. Plus, we're on Twitter and Facebook. Look for at RNZ Science. Don't forget that there are a whole range of amazing RNZ podcasts for you to explore and enjoy. Simply click on the Podcasts and Series tab on the RNZ webpage to find your next series to binge. Tenakwe ifakarongomai. Thanks for listening. Ko Clerken Kananahau. Have a great week. Kia pai. Do wiki. Botox Cosmetic. Autobotulinum Toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. Or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.